Welcome to Expert Opinion, the branding business forum where leaders share their views, insights, and experiences from the world of B2B branding. And now, here's your host. Welcome to Expert Opinion. I'm Ryan Rikus, and today's show takes a look at how a private equity firm views brand strategy for their portfolio companies. Today's guest is Kelly Ford Buckley. CMO and partner at the private equity firm Edison Partners. Kelly's responsible for the firm's marketing, and she also advised portfolio companies on their growth acceleration, branding, and marketing strategies. I recently had the opportunity to work with Kelly on the rebranding of BFS Capital, one of Edison's companies in their financial technology portfolio. Kelly, welcome to Expert Opinion. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks for having me. We've worked with a number of private equity groups over the years, and most don't have someone like you, someone who's dedicated to guiding companies, branding, and marketing efforts. And actually, I found it very effective that you were part of the process from the very start, rather than presenting to the board member or the board once a brand strategy has been created. Maybe you could talk a little bit about your firm's philosophy on taking a hands-on approach specifically relating to branding and marketing. Sure. Yeah, Absolutely. Edison, I mean, Edison's been around for 30 years as a as a firm, and value add uh, is is kind of core. It's what comes with the money. <laughs> My role here, I've been here for about 18 months, is one of advisory, and it's advisory is one of three programs that comprise what we call the Edison Edge. You know, our fundamental belief is it takes more than capital and presence at at board meetings to be a great growth partners. We have this kind of whatever it takes attitude to to help our companies accelerate growth and scale. The sales and marketing advisory specialty is eighteen months old since I've been at the firm and you know feedback from our companies and investors to date has been really positive. It's certainly been a strong differentiator for us in raising our most recent fund or eighth fund. And, you know, I work every day inside our businesses, sometimes in an interim role as CMO, other times on, you know, short project basis. And uh, I'm here as a sounding board and and an ongoing resource for uh, the 45 companies in our portfolio on an ongoing basis. I know you work with a lot of early stage or entrepreneurial type clients. So what advice would you give them about developing their brand strategy and defining their unique value proposition? As also, when would, when should they be thinking about that? Yeah, it's a great, great question. You know, we're, we invest in growth stage B2B software businesses. And most of these are in well-defined categories and they're turning the category on its head or maybe they're innovating faster to lead the market or simply building a better mousetrap. And they're in, we're in certain key industries as marketing technology, enterprise, software, and then healthcare and, and financial services technologies. When we put money in, these companies are typically at a, sort of an $8 million to $20 million run rate. So they're still early stage, but this isn't venture startup companies. They've, you know, they've proven product market fit and repeatable, uh, referenceable client base and a bunch of other criteria we apply. We think about branding for these companies. At the core, brand strategy has to reflect, you know, who the business is and 
what the employees are striving for and the value delivered to companies' audiences and that ever-important articulation of differentiation. And if, if those things aren't clear, at this stage, you're wasting marketing dollars, your sellers are not going to be effective, and potentially your employees will lack focus. When, when we think about brand at, at this stage of business, I cannot emphasize enough inside the companies the importance of the employee piece and, and the alignment that's needed to ensure that who the business is and there's clear understanding of that it permeates throughout the business. But that really, you know, to your question around timing and really size, you know, companies sub, let's say, 35 or 40 million any branding work they're doing is, you know, what I'd probably consider kind of small B branding. I think, you know, what goes along with that is maybe a more rational approach. Certainly there's messaging and a brand promise and some identity work and and the internal and external consistency is key, but they're probably fairly limited in what they're doing to publicize their brand and kind of attack the market with, with a strong anything more than something rational. And then when you look at companies when they hit around kind of that $35, $40 million mark, they're really, there's so many different things happening in the business in terms of there might be a uh, growth by acquisition strategy. They might, you're up over 200 employees, you're geographically distributed, you're diversifying your product set. There's so many other complexities that are introduced into the business where it's sort of be branding is a necessity. And the emotional connection and expanding from just maybe investing from a marketing perspective in performance-oriented programs to really starting to build out and tell a brand story on a, on a much broader and even global basis. I kind of think of small B and big B in terms of the type of brand strategy investments that companies make based on that kind of sub 40 million or so and, and greater, if that makes sense. Yeah, we see that as well in the sense that most companies, especially related to technology, really focus on the rational side of, you know, building a better mousetrap and ultimately knock my door down. But that usually doesn't happen. That's why we believe in the power of research to uncover what the audience is looking for, what might be relevant to them is also differentiated from the competition. And we also use that research to further align the organization internally, especially in the case of uh, BFS, after they went through a number of acquisitions, we needed to then bring this different companies together under one brand. We believe in the power of research. Any feedback from you on how research might prove um, with, to provide the facts to make significant decisions? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and in speaking with BFS specifically, you know, we're not only unifying and, and kind of uniting all of these acquisitions, these companies that have been existing under their own names and even internal processes. I mean, this branding exercise really was a catalyst for truly integrating the business under one brand, one umbrella, one company, BFS Capital, they also had going on in their business was the true catalyst for the rebrand was they were a wholesale business by history. And they're now starting to evolve to lend directly to small businesses. So they're, they needed company and, and their message they needed to mean something, not just to their channel partners that they've been working with for 
you know, for eons, but to the end small business customers. Evolving the business model, you know, and, and integrating those businesses were key. And, I, you know, the research piece, it, it was critical. And what I like about research playing kind of that critical role in the early stages of brand formation is at the end of the day, your customers and employees define your brand. You can't have these marketers sitting around in a room or an executive team sitting around deciding what it needs to be based on opinion. A keen understanding of the competitive landscape and and what your and who your employees are, like who is this business, and that's what you guys really cracked and kind of got into for BFS. It levels the playing field for all the stakeholders involved in the branding process across the organization. It kind of neutralizes when there's too much opinion and can kind of unite and drive that kind of alignment. And frankly, and we saw this at BFS too. It surfaces issues that perhaps were being you know, mm-hmm. otherwise conveniently swept under the rug, and you have to address them. That was a really powerful part of the process there, and um, you know, certainly something that is, uh, is critical to any branding process. Couldn't agree more. Before you make an external brand promise to your targeted customer, you've got to make sure you're able to keep it internally. So let's talk a little bit about BFS and creating their brand promise. They compete in the financial technology space, lending money to small businesses. Uh, Very, very competitive. A lot of new entries into the market. And through the research, we noticed that almost all of them were saying the same thing. We offer fast and easy financing for small businesses. And as we determined early on, that should just be the ante of the game. To stand out, we knew we had to make an emotional connection we always build the brand from within, built upon the strengths that the organization has, where the passions lie, vision of where the owners want to take it, and emphasizing the expertise that the organization offers. And we found that there were tremendous amount of care given to the business owners and relationships that were established. And the underwriters were obviously some of the best in the industry, and they had developed the ability to understand the needs of a small business owner, I think, better than the competition. And so we were able to build the brand and use the brand line Champions of Small Business as a means to connect the BFS to the customer in a nice emotional manner. Can you give your perspective on that emotional differentiation and how it's working so far? Yeah, it's interesting because the notion of having a brand promise or brand line like champions of small business, for BFS, I think it was critical to attach that promise overtly in the new brand. A lot of times in past sort of branding work I've been involved in, you might have a promise or set of values and beliefs and kind of your brand pillars behind everything. And sometimes that translates more subtly or nuanced into the message and your identity and what you're putting out into the marketplace. BFS, it had to be overt in order to convey, just as you said, you know, this expertise, this relationship uh, orientation that the business has with their end customers and with their partners, and the responsibility that this company has and believes in, in terms of lending and taking care, being a champion of that business, ensuring that they can fund their dreams but not overextend the, you know, ensuring they're they're not, uh, you know, forcing the small business to overextend themselves. All of those things sort of 
needed to come together in a in a story and in a promise that was like hit you right between the eyes and especially given that they were coming from kind of a wholesale business and were more behind the scenes brand uh previously it's also it's just a really fun line to play with from a marketing perspective and we've been um to date we introduced it the employees were all bought in the internal launch i think was very successful the external and the incorporation of this whole champion theme and the extensibility of it i think we've only barely scratched the surface on what can be done in leveraging that in in our brand work and our cross channel and and message work uh, getting out into the market slowly but surely um, it's a lean team and but with a lot of big ideas and exciting uh plans for it certainly but the foundation is there and that's what's important and i think the internal buzz and belief and kind of the way that employees have embraced it is uh, is really exciting well, it's certainly a big platform to build upon. And uh, as you mentioned, it's a, a great internal mantra as well. We've understood as we went through the process, the culture of the organization already had some of this, these beliefs, and they, that's the way they personally felt about the ability to lend money to a small business at a, an ideal time to help them grow. And there was already a lot of pride internally about the ability to do that. And so, once again, we just built the brand from within and captured an idea that can extend, continue to extend internally, but also build externally as well. We launch brands, we focus on two different sides, the verbal branding. In this case, we changed the name of the company, we introduced the brand line, we developed a messaging matrix for all the different audiences, but we also brought the brand forth in a, in a new visual manner as well, uh, a new identity and a new system and research shows that people actually see first and read or listen second. And just want to get your thoughts on your viewpoint on the brand system that we introduced and how and how that's working. Yeah, there are critical components to certainly approaching a brand, a new brand, and a rebranding exercise like this. That you know you want to be comprehensive in the approach, and you guys certainly subscribe to that and kind of guided the company there. But some brands require, especially the earlier, kind of the earlier stage in our portfolio, being so rational, they're probably less visual focused and more verbal. And then, you know, the companies are really doing it right with a capital B, visual elements and connecting emotionally through through the visual pieces is that much more important. And I think what, what you guys were able to pull together for BFS Ultimately, both are needed to be a powerful B2B brand. And B2C, maybe you can get away with more visual, less verbal, but it, it depends on the business and the strategy. But at the end of the day, for BFS, you know, both are really needed to, be, to make this powerful. And the two work together so nicely. And in the process, had to start with the verbal, right? I mean, we, you know, what do we want our audiences to believe? You know, who are we here? And... The story, it was even interesting rolling it out internally when Mark Laser, the CEO, got up on stage and kind of unveiled the new branding and started to tell the story. We took the employees through every step of kind of the building and the meaning behind the, even the logo and what, how it all, what was the significance and the symbolism of this. And it was 
very well. It, folks really connected with it, and the folks who were seeing it for the first time, others were well entrenched and involved in the process. But some people are visual, some people are verbal. I think for B2B, you need both. I think BFS needed both. And I think the the visual treatment and the identity that actually came out of this is representative of, of where we've been, where we are now, and I think even aspirationally is sort of where we're going and serves all audiences. And it's also just clean and modern, and which you don't always get in this kind of lending <laughs> banking space, you know, banking or alternative to banking space. I think the visuals are very powerful and also just goes back to the extensibility, foundational elements here of there's just so much we can be doing with it in the long run. Well, you're absolutely right in the role that Mark played in launching the brand internally. He did a fantastic job getting into why the organization was going through something like this, how it reached its decisions, and how it was going to reach the uh, the target audience, but also how it had meaning to the internal team as well. Can't reinforce enough to whoever's listening the importance of internal branding and employee engagement and the power behind that, especially for B2B brands, because your team Absolutely. are the ones that actually create the uh, relationship, and they're the uh, greatest either attribute or detractor of the brand when it's reaching your, your target audience. Critically important. So we only have a few more minutes left, unfortunately, but um, I guess maybe taking it back to the beginning, I'd like to just get your viewpoint on how the equity world views the value of branding. Yeah, it's funny, and it is split between the different stages of what, are you an earlier growth stage business or maybe later or more mature growth stage business? And, you know, it's funny because this question has a lot of currency just over the last week, week and a half here. I'll give you a couple of examples to sum it up, but we recently evaluated one company for potential investment, and on the earlier stage of companies where we invest, only 30 people, a two-year-old company growing like a weed, sales-driven culture, they're already at an $18 million run rate, so from a run rate perspective, they seem more mature, but, but they're very lean, very scrappy, super competitive market, and just a lot of professionalizing to do in the business, and during the marketing session, the marketing leader spent about 15 minutes on brand, and and that was his session. That was it. Wow. You know, he didn't have anything else to share. Were the investors sitting around the table? We glazed over. I mean, I'm interested in these topics. Obviously, it's where I come from, but most of my colleagues they all glaze over after a minute of talking about branding, um, and we're waiting to hear about the marketing strategy and investments that are going to have measurable contribution to the continued growth and scale of the business. So in in the absence of that meat, we didn't really care about the brand work for this early stage of a business. The priorities kind of felt out of whack. But then a couple of days later, we met with this other company who thought extremely thoughtful go-to-market strategy, very tight messaging, very professional, polished deck, great demo. You never know that this company was a single-digit revenue business, very early stage, because of the branding investment work that they did out of the gate and the fact that it was so clear the way it permeated strategically, tactically, visually through their whole pitch and their whole strategy. And everybody was like, wow, this beautiful identity, love your website. 
it could completely connect to just sort of the, ta- the tactical visual pieces, though, to the strategy and the way that this team had professionalized the business, including the branding, out of the gate. And you just never know they were as small <laughs> as they were. For sub $30 million in revenue, $30, $35 million, I mean, I suppose my view is some investment in branding is absolutely needed. You need the messaging, the promise, the identity, you know, the consistency and the alignment. This is all critical, but perhaps more rational. And the programming is limited because you're really performance-oriented in your public promoting of your business because everything needs to be measurable at that stage for us, you know, the investor perspective. You know, as I mentioned earlier, the company, the company growth strategy starts to introduce greater complexities. Big B is an absolute necessity, and all of that with the rational, but adding the emotional connection and expanding from performance orientation in terms of how your brand is conveyed to telling the story to through more brand awareness and brand-specific investments and programs. And at that stage, from a revenue perspective, and given the complexities in your business, I mean, it's an, it's an absolute requirement. You can't just keep doing what you were doing to that point that got you to that point. I mean, you really need to think more broadly about the business and what you are meaning to your markets and to your employees. Companies at that stage, we, have, we actually have a couple within the portfolio who had just recently gone through this process as well. They kept their names but they completely rebranded. They've grown by acquisition, uh, diversified their product set, and are growing 40 to 60% a year. And two examples of those are Agnetic, is one company in the ad tech space, or marketing tech, and another one is Build Trust here in New Jersey, and they're billing software for mid-market companies. They're like the stage of a BFS, maybe a little bit earlier, but made the investment at exactly the right time and those complexities in the business were the drivers for that. And certainly the investors were a thousand percent behind the need and, you know, why they did it and the outcomes are, uh, you know, just starting to show themselves. Well, it sounds like the firms that get it right certainly align their business and their brand strategies together and have taken the time to understand their target audience and clarify that very succinctly. And we say that branding is the art of strategy. You can't be all things to all people. You have to clearly identify the importance you are to a very specific market and own that particular category. And that's really when branding can be very, very effective. Well, um, Kelly, unfortunately, we're almost out of time. You've been a great guest. Thank you. Any final thoughts or insights you'd like to share with the listeners? When I think about brand, there's actually one sort of anecdote, and this goes back to the importance of, you know, the brands being built from the inside out and alignment and employee involvement and engagement. At the end of the day, brands, your brand needs to have a seat at every table, you know, in your meetings throughout the company. And the most critical of your business decisions, and even some of the less critical ones, it really can't be made without reflecting back to what is your brand? Who are you? What is your promise? And years and years ago, actually, Amazon, you know, their mission from the outset was to be the world's or the earth's most customer-centric brand. And the way that they carry that out, and is a constant reminder internally, is they leave an empty seat at the table in every meeting for the most important person in the room. And that most important person is the customer, and that ties right back to the core of their business and their brand. And regardless of what your mission is, how vast, you know, your different audiences are, 
your promise and that presence of that promise inside the business is what helps you create a great brand or rebrand and should continually remind you of why you do what you do and how you do it. So I love that whole seat at the table concept for for the customer for Amazon and your brand needs that seat at the table, whoever, whoever your audience is and what your promise is. Great summary, Kelly. Love the analogy with Amazon as well. If our listeners have any questions of you, how could they best reach you? My email is kford at edisonpartners.com. Happy to branding businesses community. Wonderful. Yeah, Edison Partners' website's fantastic. Lots of great information. Kelly, thanks again for being a guest in Expert Opinion. That concludes our show for today. This is Ryan Rikus. You've been listening to another edition of Expert Opinion, a branding business forum where thought leaders share their point of view. If you'd like to listen to past shows or read our blog series, visit brandingbusiness.com. Until our next show, grow your business by living your brand promise.